Hello, and welcome to Capstan Live. We're the podcast that makes sure you pay the real estate taxes you owe and not a dollar more. If you own commercial real estate or advise someone who does, you're in the right place for a real talk about maximizing tax savings. Hi, welcome to another edition of Capstan Live. I'm Helena Carmel, and I'm so lucky to have a return guest with us today, Bruce Johnson. Bruce, how are you this morning? Doing great, Helena. So glad you're here, and I don't want to beat around the bush, Bruce. Today's topic is close to your heart. I know you have a special interest in energy. I know you earned the special CEM credential, and I know you feel really strongly about sustainability. Can you tell me a little bit about why? Like, when did your your passion for this subject begin? Well, I, I think it really started with one of my early career choices, working for a public utility and oh. seeing how energy is produced and then naturally how it's used and then getting into our business, seeing how people have real estate and energy is just a part of how they operate and an overhead for the overhead cost for them. So, uh, and then you tie that all into just resource management mm-hmm. and it just kind of made, made sense for me. So, uh, you're, of course, you're not the only one. I mean, these days, everybody's trying to be more mindful about resource management and using energy in a responsible way. And what's amazing to me is that the government is willing to incentivize this, you know, when it comes to real estate. Um, so are there these kinds of initiatives at every municipal level? Well, can we start from the top down? From a federal perspective, as you're kind of hinting at, there certainly are a number of things, whether they're directly targeted for energy or not. Uh, There is a number of things that U.S. taxpayers with commercial real estate can leverage to free up cash flow to pay for whether it's a new building upgrading to a more energy efficient design or retrofitting a building being able to just pay for that. Uh, We get into a lot of those conversations with people, uh, our clients. So from a state perspective, while it's not as prevalent as it was, say, 10 or so years ago, but there are a lot of states that have what we'll call demand-side management programs. They're basically the state with the utilities in those municipalities uh, work together to provide a funding source to help people improve the energy efficiency of their buildings. Wow. So What's that called, Bruce? A demand-side demand energy management. Energy management. Yeah. So, oh, so, for example, here in Pennsylvania, there really isn't much available. And the reason for that is the state has a fairly robust supply of energy. Ah. Whereas states like New Jersey or California, California is in the transition to try and I think by 2030 or so, they want to have an all um, renewable energy source platform for them. Wow. And so they're going through some... Uh, turbulent times right now trying to make that transition. So they're incentivizing their their building owners and users and energy users to become more energy efficient. And then from a municipal standpoint, you don't see these nearly as much. Um, what we're actually starting to see is that a lot of the municipalities, say Philadelphia, New York, uh, LA, Austin, Texas, Seattle, large cities are actually putting together mandates well, they've, they've started with through a benchmarking programs, but we're starting to see discussions or actually implementation of programs that uh, the state, city rather, New York is a key example. A couple of years ago, they passed some legislation that if 
a building of a, over a certain size, I think it's 20,000 square feet, does not meet, and in this case, a reduction in carbon footprint of which energy is part of, there's, they have the right, the city has the right to now implement a tariff or uh, oh, wow. uh, on that building. Um, so and that's going to be enforced. Bruce. Well, it's on the books, wow. and whether it's being enforced right now, or I think there's a soft, a soft launch, yes. Uh, but in the next four or so years, yes, New York wow. City building owners are going to be faced with meeting these thresholds. Uh, and oh, by the way, back to your initial question, from a federal level, we see incentives. State level, we do see some. From a local level, to my knowledge, there's none. But what we are seeing is mandated requirements for people to increase or rather decrease their decrease. energy performance of their energy energy usage increase their energy efficiency of their buildings. Ah, yes wow fascinating um so let's focus on the federal incentives since those are the ones that obviously are going to impact all of our listeners but obviously if people have a specific question about their state they could certainly give you a call right bruce uh, we're always here to help for sure amazing okay so the big boy is EPAC 179D, right? I know this is like, I want to say your bread and butter. It's one of your favorite things, right, Bruce? He's nodding, people. He is nodding. To a degree, yes. To a degree. Okay. So what kind of properties are eligible for this tax deduction? So 179D put in place through the 2005 Energy Policy Act is for all commercial real estate, even multifamily, but in that instance, it has to be four stories or higher. Um, it is for for-profit tax entities uh, or, or taxpayers. Now, there is a little bit of a wrinkle that uh, it will be available for the design profession, design community, uh, architect and engineers that are doing design work for federal or government buildings. They actually, the design firm in those instances, can take the 179D benefit for themselves so even if the building is a, a government entity a tax exempt entity theoretically the designer would be able to claim the deduction. so long as they so long as they provided a design uh, and that was implemented yes wow. they, they could and even though I mean even a bigger that's a very question is well they don't own the assets well that's the way the statute was written so um, Mine is not to question why. Mine is about to do or die with that. I follow the rule, and wow. that's what it says. So I, I hear, but that is that is a very interesting nuance. Yeah, it's it's been around for a while, and certainly uh, it can be a very very powerful uh, tool for the design profession to be able to leverage. But when we look at the real real focus or thrust of 179D, it's for the commercial building owner operator right. to incentivize them to increase the energy performance of their buildings. And I know it was recently extended, right? Permanently extended under right. the Consolidations Appropriate, the Consolidated Appropriations Act. Correct. Excuse me. Yeah, and, and, and actually it's interesting because <clears throat> when Civic ID has been a great tool for a, a lot of years, since 2006. With this recent change, yes, it's been now made a permanent part of the tax code. However, they instituted a change that actually has become problematic for the use of the tool. Uh-oh. And basically what they did was they changed the threshold, the benchmark that you have to compare against from, it was 2006 for a number of years, 2014 standards. Well, now you have to, to compare it against the benchmark of no more than two years or older for where that building is, where that work is done. So what am I driving at? 
the issue comes down to the program still states that we have to the design and installation has to beat the benchmark performance by 50% or more. For years, that's been pretty easy to do because oh. of we're able to use, say, for example, LED lighting, which is, by the way, part of most building codes today, right off the bat is going to be spinning off so much energy energy reductions versus the benchmark that it, it helps these projects to perform very well. Well, now that we are now having to look at current building code, which as I just mentioned, LED lights are typically in that, we're not going to see too much of a benefit from that, a kickoff from that. So what we're seeing is under the changes, yes, it's permanent, terrific, we can now count on it. However, because the way the statute's written has been changed, it makes it a lot more difficult to, to achieve that 50% or more. So lighting used to be the main driver. Well, now we're having to look at more hybrid designs. So for example, more, I'll use the term aggressive energy um, control systems, uh, which cost a lot more money, uh, or much more energy efficient chillers, boilers, uh, more envelope investment, so more insulation and things like that. So um, definitely there's, we're in a transition stage. I know that there's a lot of, there is a lot of people talking with Congress to say, hey, you may not want to have changed this because you really have created a scenario where, well, maybe the intentions are good, that they're trying to get people to put an even greater energy, energy efficient system in their building the, the reality is, oh, the other thing is they didn't change the benefit. The benefit still is up to $1.80 a, a square foot deduction benefit. Um, they didn't change that. So they changed our, our, our threshold that we have to achieve against. They made it permanent. And so, by, and again, as I've, I've uh, pontificated enough on, it's made the bar much, much more difficult to pass. You just took the words out of my mouth. So what you're saying is they've raised the bar tremendously for the same benefit. Correct. Okay. Correct. And that, I can see how that is problematic, absolutely. Um, especially as the, if you have to compare to the most recent benchmark within two years, and the benchmarks will keep, or the most recent um, threshold of within two years, and that will continue to improve as well. Right? So Correct. Gonna it's going to keep moving. It's going to keep moving the bar higher exactly. the bar to, will to achieve it. Continue yes. to raise. Zoinks. That is not. Well, right. now it, it may not be directly tied to 179D, but we still have um, the correction and to for QIP. So people that are doing retrofits, QIP I think ah. is a great and much easier to use in most cases tool than 179D. So uh, depending upon what the scope of work is, there again, there's still a number of things they can use from the, the federal perspective bag of tricks. Right, absolutely. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, no, boo, 179D, for sure not. But it does sound like we're in kind of a transition phase. And there, there's a number of people lobbying Congress right now to try and change that benchmark issue Ooh. that they've created so you heard it here first people and we'll keep you posted well, i think there's, his, there's a lot of people working on it yeah so. bruce has his finger on the pulse in washington so we'll keep you posted um so let's say a person does want to go ahead and have this 179 study performed how does it work who actually 
you know, comes in and, and checks things out? And what are they looking for specifically? Well, you have to basically prove that your design and installation achieves that 50% or greater energy efficiency over your benchmark. Right. And you do that, if it's just a lighting project, you can use a spreadsheet that shows the calculation from the pre-existing system, the newly installed system, and the difference, again, just shows that 50% or more performance gain. When you're put into play HVAC and or building envelope, you have to use one of the, I think there's 12 or 13 approved software tools to okay. model the building. And then again, through that modeling, you show the pre-existing condition, the new condition, and the delta would be uh, hopefully meeting that, that. I see. So you have to perform this on all the work um, that's been done. It's, again, this is for newly constructed or renovated projects, anything from 2006 forward. You could do this in a retrofit. Retro, a retroactive environment we call look-back study. So say when there's a period of time when it had expired, say 2018, you can go back to 2018 to a look-back study. Following this protocol, um, you have to have a entity that is licensed to do business in the location where the project is, basically sign an affidavit that the work was done as designed, that's how it was installed. Um, typically that'll be, for example, the lighting contractor would sign that ah, to ver verify okay. it, or the design professional for the, say, HVAC, it's a HVAC or building envelope would be signing off on that. And then the report, which would be a spreadsheet just for lighting only typically, or... But we're not seeing lighting only so much No, no, now. I, but, but again, I, I'd say 179D right now for new work is a challenge. But for older work, as uh -huh. I said, if you, if you now realize, hey, I didn't take this from 2017 or 18, you, that's, that's perfectly fine. You can do a look back. You would use, say, in, in a lighting only project, your report would have some write-up on it with the affidavit and things like that to document things. But the spreadsheet would do the calculation. I see. Where you have either of the other two or all three, you would have the output report from the software to substantiate the claim. Wow, okay, so just to clarify something I think is super important. So you said if, you know, if I did a retrofit back in 2017 and I never, you know, I never did a, did a study then, I can actually go back in time and, and place those um, improvements. What well, if you I are, so, so just to kind of flesh out the scenario, yes, you did a lighting retrofit in a warehouse in 2018. I think that was a year that it expired for a while. Um, so you didn't do that. Well, now you can see that it's been made retroactive. So you can go back and you can certainly amend the return. I wouldn't recommend that. Use a 3115 to institute this change with the report to substantiate that. And you just put that in your next tax return. Wow. It's very similar to how we deal with cost segregation. Now, the exception would be, if you remember when we talked about the design profession being yes. able to leverage this, they can also do a look back, but it becomes much more of a challenge. They, they must amend those returns. So it becomes oh. a lot more invasive and costly to do that. So the owner could do it through a 3115 pretty straightforward, but if the design professional is trying to claim the deduction, they would have to deal with an amended return. Correct. Okay. Yep. Okay, wow, that's very interesting. Um, okay, cool. So EPAC 179D is one-time tax deduction for commercial or residential rental properties that are at least four stories high. 
but what if I own like a little property? Like say I have a bunch of like two-story condos or something like that, and I, I want to do an energy retrofit. Is there something that would apply in this situation? Um, you certainly can use 179D, but remember that the benefit is predicated on the amount of square feet. So what we find is that certainly this works great for warehouses. That's kind of why I use that scenario we just mentioned, a warehouse lighting retrofit. But if it's a office condo like you just mentioned, anytime you get below 10,000 square feet, just the effort required to do one of these studies probably outweighs the benefit because it's still similar to cost irrigation. I want to be able to see a client be able to at least get a three to one turn on their investment. Um, when you get below 10,000 square feet, thinking of a dollar a square foot, if you get the full dollar at 10,000 square feet, that's an $18,000 deduction. Multiply that time just a generic 30% tax rate and you get a $6,000 tax savings. Now, certainly that's not inconsequential, but when you're talking about the grand scheme of things mm -hmm. and doing a tax return, that maybe won't be moving the needle so significantly right. enough for you. But now, flip that to say you have a 500,000 square foot warehouse and you're doing it's new construction, you get the full dollar eighty, the numbers change significantly. That's where we see 179 D being of Bigger significant is better. Benefit. Bigger That's is right. better yes, with absolutely. 179 yeah. D. Okay. And I think I misspoke earlier too. I said a two story, you know, and, and that wouldn't even be a 179 D. Yeah, I think that the, the, the height of the property only for 179 D only matters when it's a multifamily environment. Understood. Understood. So mixed use, I'm sorry, mid rise or high rise multifamily is where 179 D comes into play. Now, below three stories and lower that's when i like to use the term 179d's little brother 40, 45l brother 45l comes into play yes love the little brother let's talk about him um first of all so 45l though was not permanently extended no right? it was just extended it's still as it has been still part of the annual tax extender packages but it has been extended yes through the, right, this but year not permanently so you no. can you you don't have that luxury of planning as Correct. Okay. Correct. But they didn't change anything with regard to the performance benchmarks we have to meet or the benefit. They didn't change anything. So that's a huge plus. I think so, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it. So, okay, so 179D, we just said bigger is better, you know, that the, the amount saved is based on square foot and improved property. But with 45L, it's not the case, right? 45L, the savings is, is based per unit. Yes, yeah, so when we look at 45L, first of all, it's it focuses on multifamily, as we've talked about, three stories and lower, so garden-style typically development, typical developments. Um, it is also for condos or townhomes and also for sale market rate, or for sale homes. It doesn't have to be market rate. Um, so it really opens up a different realm of property type. Now, it was part of the 179 and 45L were part of the same program that was rolled out. So one of the number of ways that a 45L differs from 179D is that certainly it has a very much more focused property type and size, but it also changes from a deduction benefit to a one-time federal non-transferable tax credit. And ah. it's $2,000 per dwelling unit is the term that's used. And dwelling that kind of, units. Okay. So kind of what you were alluding to before, you have a scenario where, hey, I just built a 200 unit apartment complex, garden style. So in 
potentially each one of those 200 units could be getting a $2,000 tax credit up to $400,000. Wow. So uh, again, remember the math that we were doing for a small or 10,000 square foot 170D project? You are basically, that's a deduction benefit so you see the tax benefit, you have to multiply at times your effective tax rate. Mm -hmm. For 145 out, no, it is a $2,000 per dwelling unit credit. Per credit. Yes, and wow. and it you have to test each dwelling unit. So back to my fictitious example, the 200 unit facility, each one of those 200 units would have to be tested individually and shown to pass. And the reason is, the protocol for this, you have to go and do a physical test. There's technically, I think the term is fenestration, air, how much air uh, um, loss into the building, how tight is the structure. What word is that? Fenestration, I think, is the term. Yes. Okay. Um, so how tight the building is, but then also you have to show the energy efficiency. Particularly when we see this, it's going to be uh, the HVAC equipment the um, fans, exhaust fans and things like that will be very, very important. And similar to 179D, we have to use a specific piece of software for this. Uh, we are using a different benchmark. For 179D, we use ASHRAE standards. For right. 45L, we use IEEC standards. Okay. Um, now, the good news, as I mentioned before, for this, for 45L, we're still using 2006 benchmarks. Love so, that. We're still seeing a lot of positive activity for 45L. Yes. 179D has really kind of gone into its hibernation status because uh. we've talked about before, but 45L is very much alive and well. Um, it's in play through the end of this year. You can do lookbacks for this, but you have to amend those prior returns so it becomes a little bit more uh, problematic. Not as straightforward. Uh, but again, this can be a really, really powerful tool, particularly with all of the work going on in the multifamily arena over the last couple decades. And this is good for new construction as well as retrofit as Amazing. well. Amazing, Bruce, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for clarifying the changes that came with 179D. I think that I, I benefited from that review and I think our listeners will too. Um, listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard, give us um, a subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or you can go to our website, capstantax.com, and go to the podcast page. Bruce, thank you so much for your time. I'm Helena Carmel. I'm here with our producer, Aaron Strongin, and um, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Capstan Live. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Visit our website at capstantax.com for more info on everything we discussed today, plus breaking news, industry blogs, and more. Have a profitable day.